0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's show. If you're watching, you can see that I have a full house. I've got five guests with me, three of whom are colleagues and a very exciting show ahead. We will move on to AI in education and using it for positive disruption. But before that, my colleagues here, we're going to talk about your vision and, of course, the news with Sasha Kyo. So welcome to you all.
1: Hi, Lisa. Hello.
0: Hello. So for those who are not watching, I have to say who's in the studio. I've got Sasha Q, as always. I have got Sarah Tapp from The Hangover and Melissa Dalton from Melissa's show, The Drive Time, The Evening Show, The Home Stretch. And I also have in the studio two doctors, Dr. Sheridan Masters, who is head of technology at ISL, and Dr. David DJ Condon, who is the director of the International School of Luxembourg. So welcome to you both as well.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having us.
0: Here. now sasha turning to
3: you firstly did you have a nice ski trip oh it was great it was my first holiday out of the school holidays so my children are now grown up um, and and uh, what a different beast that is you know you we were skiing on our own but uh, and cheaper we as well much cheaper <laughs> <laughs> no cues um i suppose the teachers understand this because it's unfair on teachers yeah uh so yes Just wait a few years. But um, it was really fun. But we had really, really heavy snowstorms. So it was quite scary for me. Um, I'm not a very proficient skier. Uh,
0: I think you're a very humble person. So I think you've come back uninjured, which is a good sign. That is a good sign, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) Now, we're going to start the news with lots of show busy things, starting with something that's happening this weekend at home.
3: So yes, so unless you've been living under a rock, this is big, big excitement in Luxembourg. Um, there is it is the Luxembourg Song Contest at which eight show. Um entrants Entrance are taking part and the one lucky winner will represent Luxembourg at the Eurovision Song Contest in Malmö and that will be the first time in 31 years that Luxembourg is taking part. So it's you know it's a, it's a huge show at the Rock Hall on Saturday night. There are eight acts and um, I mean Melissa we and Sarah I yes. have to hand over because they will be doing the live English commentary.
0: So Sarah, Melissa I know that you've spoken to well particularly you, Melissa, you've spoken to all of the entrants, uh, well, the finalists of the entrance, if I could say it that way. Tell us about uh, that experience and what they're like.
4: Well, I was kind of thinking one of them might not be nice. Maybe one of them would be, you know, a bit big headed or something. But no, every single one of them was so delightful and lovely. And they're all really grateful to have the opportunity, all really excited, all working hard. And then what I loved the most was that they've formed friendships. Uh, They all had a pizza party one of the nights Mm. in uh, Edson's house. And they've also been talking a lot about collaborating, what they're going to do next, kind of helping each other. And they did like a group therapy sort of session as well. So it seems like they, they were really treated really well and they approached everything really well as in keeping them as friends and not having too much competition so it was just wonderful to have them all on yeah and all very different artists all Mm -hmm. different stages in their career but yeah the talent is just incredible I won't ask if you have a favourite
1: I don't I can't they're all two they're all my favourites it's going to be really hard to commentate on it because we'd like them all like genuinely but you're excited about it I think I think we're very excited about it like scale of one to ten and 11 for sure so
0: just in case like Sasha said somebody's been living under a rock um, this show we're recording on the Friday morning it will go out Saturday tomorrow morning the day of um how are you going to be commenting on it
1: it's going to be really interesting because it's going to be broadcast on eurovision.lu and people will be able to select their language and I believe it's the first time in like the history of the song contest that Luxembourg is going to offer English language commentary so it's really like a testament to how internationalized the country is um yeah and we're really excited about it we'll basically be doing kind of a Graham Norton style chat over so when the announcers when the host are talking we'll be talking and we'll pull the volume down just a bit so people can hear us and then when it's time for the performances we'll put it right back up and people can watch it as if they're watching a broadcast. So
0: are you going to have a little bit of the Graham Norton kind of uh, humour?
4: Well that would be nice but as Sarah said we'll have to reel back the sass because they're all just too nice. I can't, I don't think I could say anything cruel about
1: them. Also, we're not allowed to be drunk on air, Lisa. So <laughs> <laughs> we are going Unlike to though, we are going there to be, won't be Cremont? Well, there know, must there's be. Cremont for people who are able to drink, who aren't necessarily presenting it live, but we are going to have some Champom, which is the kiddie version of Cremont or Kiddie Bully, and we're going to be doing a bingo, actually. RTL has organised a Luxembourg Song Contest bingo. People can go on today and download Download it. And then uh, we'll have the full list of all the bingo options. And as we spot them, we'll be calling them and asking people to text into our normal number with thoughts, comments and uh, when they get a bingo. So tell me a bit about... Sorry, Melissa. You were... And we've also arranged some watch parties happening. So we have five households
4: who have been chosen from all the applicants. We've sent them a goodie bag of drinks and snacks. And then they'll be participating with us throughout the night. And our tale today will have a, a live ticker going as well. It's a bit like Gogglebox. Yeah, we're, yep. we're going for it. We're all angles. <laughs> Whether you want to watch, you want to
0: listen, you want to read, we'll be we'll be covering it. But you know, if you're doing this for this part of the section, what's it going to be like on uh, Malmo Day? Ah, <laughs> that would be that's going to be <laughs> that's interesting. That's the dream, Lisa. We'll do, see. do you have any clue about who might win?
4: No, the only the only kind of inkling I can gather is kind of things like the polls and the views on the videos and stuff. That's the only thing that I've been able to Mm. gather popularity from. But you just
0: never know. And what's the age range?
4: So the youngest just turned 16 on the 24th of January. So just a few days ago. Um, An amazing student who uh, spends hours a week at the conservatoire. So this is Naomi. She's studying uh, classical piano after school as well. Um, So she had her 16th birthday the other day. And then... Oh gosh, I don't know. I don't insult anyone. I suppose maybe early 30s would be the eldest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't I was... call that an insulting age. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case
1: they're like twenty-five and they're like, How dare you? <laughs> I was going to mention, Lisa. There's also some things like historically some stats around like what key the song is in, what the tempo is, if it's a ballad versus a banger. that oh. there's a lot of data out there that sort of feeds into trends. So you can say, you know, like a song in this key has never won. Things like that. We're not quite there yet. I think that kind of coverage will be reserved for the main Eurovision event, but it will be interesting you never know a lot of other countries are doing their selection like kind of concurrently with Luxembourg so you never know we don't know at this stage you know this year is it going to be dominated by bangers are there going to be a lot of ballads from year to year it's always a bit of a a shoot you know in the dark you're not sure if you go forward with a banger if that's if you're just going to blend in because everybody's doing a bit of the same so it's always really exciting that's very
0: interesting so if somebody has a mindset to uh you know, do something that has an even greater chance of winning. That's where AI could come in quite helpfully, actually, isn't it? Yeah, well, yeah fascinating. You could, you could use. Now, looking at you and thinking about the bio I've read for you, DJ, yeah.
2: there,
0: are, there are two things in common, but let's start with the ISL connection here.
2: Yeah, well, I have to say, I know we're here to talk about education, but we're also at ISL very excited about Eurovision because we have two alums who are associated Uh, Jana Baric from Francis of Delirium is a co-writer on one of the songs. And then Tali Golergant is a finalist. Her song, Fighter... I'm I'm biased. I think it's the best. I think she's going to win. Um, and just shout out to the ISL community, to everybody. Tune in Saturday night and, and support Tali. Oh, we're well, really proud of her. Or,
0: or anybody else that you might
2: wish to <laughs> yeah, support. <we're laughs> you need to say that, but we're, we're biased, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, it's great if you've got a school of that uh, level of uh, population behind you. That helps. But I'm also looking at you because one of your teaching stints was in Hawaii.
2: Yes, it was. And Sarah's from Hawaii. Oh really? I am indeed. Where
1: did you teach? I was
2: at uh, La Jardin Academy on the uh, windward side of Oahu.
1: I figured it was Oahu. I'm uh-huh. from the Big Island. This is uh-huh. a bit of a thing in Hawaii. All like, uh-huh. oh, I- right. have Outer Island Imposter Syndrome. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, I
0: see. So I don't know about the the, the Hawaii uh, geographical uh, <laughs>
1: politics. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I yeah. don't know enough about Hawaii. I just know there's um, yeah a couple of them, and that's that's about the extent of my geographical knowledge.
2: <laughs> Most beautiful place on the planet.
0: Or, and you've been to quite a few I've,
2: I've travelled quite a bit and it is gorgeous thank you, know. you for saying <laughs> yeah. that I
1: have to tell you guys there is a poke bowl place in the city centre that has a giant uh, window art that says Luxembourg is better than Hawaii <laughs> offending every Hawaiian in this country did you draw that absolutely <laughs> <laughs> not my brother's here right now and he thought was like sorry what <laughs> oh that's so funny um, another
0: thing I want you to stay for because I know you have a particular um, penchant for this um, we're going to turn back to to news of sorts but this is fun news and moving on from uh the excitement that luxembourg will have shared across the country this weekend for eurovision and we have oscar nominations coming up and i'm pretty sure sarah is aware of
3: uh barbie <laughs> well i mean they, they actually came out uh this week yes. the, the nominations and um uh, it, it, I think it was kind of expected because Barbie was snubbed at the Golden Globes, but the big, big snub at the Oscars is that Ryan Gosling has been nominated as best actor for Supportive. Ken and, supporting actor. Uh, I don't think it is supporting actually. I think it. Oh, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Um, and uh, sorry, that's thrown me a bit. Sorry, um, so, and yeah. uh, and that. Margot Robbie and the director Greta Gerwig have not been nominated. Um, It has been nominated for Best Film and this has caused an absolute storm on social media.
1: I thought Sarah might have a view on this. You see me pushing up my sleeves and grabbing <laughs> yes, my microphone. Yes, I know you're a fan. I've seen it, I saw it three times. We saw it together, in fact. Yeah. I loved it. Once. I, think, I, I saw it once. <laughs> <laughs> I also saw it with my little girls. I saw it with my husband. And uh, I just, I think the kind of main critique is like they totally missed the point of the film. Uh, and I agree, obviously. Um, look, I think there's like a, an argument for film critics to make and say, is it the best directed film? Is it the best lead actress performance? That's what they're evaluating it by, but I think it was such a cultural phenomenon. Like, really, it was the year of the girl in 2023, and uh, it just goes to show that the criticism that these award shows are slightly out of touch and irrelevant
3: um, might actually have some legs, don't you think? Well, I love that this quote, you know, literally, this is the plot of the movie. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: literally, you know what, they probably
3: didn't even watch it
1: if I'm being
3: honest it's reminding me
0: I I did watch a clip of uh, the rest is politics and uh, of I don't know if you know this uh, podcast but um did you see this clip I that didn't see the about, clip no About what Rory Stewart thought of Barbie
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't suppose he was hugely impressed
0: he was a little bored yeah. I think was his comment he, yeah but that, that I mean I'm not surprised by that that I can imagine that it wasn't his sort of film yeah I
3: well, friendly... what I, sorry sorry that... no I just think that Ryan Gosling either is very smart or has a very good PR because the first, I mean, before anything came out on social media, he immediately criticised it himself and he said to say I'm disappointed uh, is is an understatement, you know. So um, that they weren't nominated, so he immediately kind of changed changed the whole
0: yeah it's curi- it's curious that he's got a uh, he's standing up there as a, a potential uh well he's in the list for best supporting actors but um yeah anyhow and actually of that uh i think they're pretty much mostly men
4: <laughs> so well america Ferrera did get nominated so for yes, best supporting that's best supporting. true I mean, exactly yes, and, and she's and the one who is
3: nominated the, for best film yeah as
4: well. and she made the incredible monologue about what being a woman is like and yes. that for me was the best moment of the movie I, yeah. I think it's a great movie but it's more about what it symbolizes rather than I don't think it's a I don't think it's
0: the best movie well, of now, all Melissa, time Pedigree is let's, the film, right? let's put your acting hat on here because you have many skills and one of them is that you're an actor as well true so tell us what do you think about the Oscars and what you think about the lists we've had out
4: I yeah I I wasn't wholly surprised that it did It got a bit snubbed because, it, like, I don't think it's the greatest film of all time. I think the beginning was really good. The end was really good. But in the middle, there was a lot of... There There could have been some tidying up there. But it it's not really about it being the best film. It's also about what it represented, as Sarah said. And it was just such a, like... It's just a moment for women being like, yes, yes, finally, somebody's giving us a voice. So that part of it is kind of heartbreaking. But then, I don't know, I find it a bit of a, a tricky, a tricky topic. I'm not quite sure how I feel about it, but <laughs> I, I'm glad it got eight nominations
0: overall. Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's a lot still. I did. Personally, like Oppenheimer, but that's because I quite like the
3: subject matter. <laughs> yes, I mean, it was, I, and and that I think is undisputable that it was nominated in for thirteen uh, prizes. You know, that's no big. You know, no one, one is surprised by that. But uh, in a way, it's a shame because there's there's always the story that that leads it, and Barbie is dominating. You know, any achievements that maybe films like Maestro or Killers of the Flower Moon or Oppenheimer have made. But you know, who knows, on the night, you know, there'll be a slap and then that will lead the to new, new stories. <laughs> yeah. Yes,
0: another slap would be great. <laughs> I know, it's always exciting. When, when these lists come out, actually, the thing for me is that, um, and actually, sorry, going back to the slap, that led to another story, which is that they've
3: been separated for seven years or something. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Yes, well, we've, we've found out all sorts of things about uh, their private lives uh, since, haven't yeah. we, that, that yeah. um, it was a little bit more complicated than than we thought at the time.
1: He said, "This is just what we were saying about Eurovision and the Lux Song Contest. You never know what's going to happen live. Yes. Yeah, no, no live in. is the
0: best. Nothing <laughs> nothing beats live. We love live. Um, yeah, no. But just looking at the list of films, it always um, I, I always think, golly, I have a lot to catch up on. <laughs> I have so much to watch. Well, ladies, you're very welcome to stay for the whole show. You may be busy. You may be jetting off to various places. Will you be here in the studio, or will you be down in Rockall?"
4: We're going to be in RTL in the building because we do need a place to be able to watch the Eurovision happening live and commentate. Um, And I don't think there's anywhere in Rock Hall to do that. Don't think other people watch concerts and comment on them. That would be quite boring. You'd need need a booth. We are
1: going though tomorrow. We are very lucky to have press access to the full dress rehearsal tomorrow afternoon. So from about 1pm when the press centre opens, there are a huge number of international media coming to the Luxembourg Song Contest because the fact that Luxembourg is re-entering it. We were a founding member. It's a big news story in other countries as well. So we'll be part of the press horde tomorrow afternoon doing a sneak preview and then we'll be back in.
0: That's so wonderful. So you have a busy day. Indeed. Well, <laughs> if you need anything, just give us a shout out and we'll bring popcorn.
4: Oh, that would be great. And some chocolate. <laughs> popcorn
3: and chocolate it is. The there we other go. thing I just wanted to say about the the not Eurovision Song Contest, the Luxembourg Song Contest is that the judges have 50% of the vote mm-hmm. and the public have 50%. So for those people who have their favourite contestants, you know, 50% of the vote, you can really uh, make a difference. Yeah, you
1: can swing it. It costs 99 Mm. cents to make a vote. And you can vote from abroad as well, which I believe has been slightly controversial. But for me, it's kind of reflective of the fact that the population here is also very international. I don't think it's a bad thing, in my own opinion.
0: And how many of the contestants are Luxembourgish? I
4: think... From what I gathered, I didn't want to, you know, ask for anyone's passports or anything. But from what I gathered from interviewing them, I think pretty much all of them, apart from um, Angie is from Belgium. And she, well, she's kind of got a Mediterranean background, but she lives in Belgium and she's based there. But I think everybody has uh, either been born here or has grown up here. But a lot of people have roots, you know, like uh, half Italian, half Spanish. Um, all of one last time I have Italian roots. <laughs> they were, like they came in and my wonderful intern, Laura is half Italian. So they were all like, speaking Italian. <laughs> all six of them. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? Um, so, yeah, I think the Luxembourg connection is still pretty. strong but everybody like you know might have a mom from somewhere a father a grandfather from somewhere else which is luxembourg yeah
1: 100 percent. i hope they're the next man of skin (laughs) yeah that would be awesome
0: well ladies good luck we'll all be cheering for you guys as well because i know it's a bit of a marathon stint and uh and we'll all be there with our flags waving just in general for everybody we unbiased. Including Tally. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Thank Lisa. you. Thank you, ladies. If we need to dash, thank you, thank you. And now, Sasha, moving back to other things in the news which are not so happy and jolly. Uh where to begin? Um, I suppose let's begin back at home. Let's talk about Luxembourg citizenship since we were just vaguely talking about that anyhow. About twelve thousand people last year gained gained nationality.
3: That's right. I'm sorry, on a very small segue, that the whole conversation reminds me that uh, today there was a new story um, you know it's such a different place Luxembourg uh, the, uh, to Japan where um, a lady won the Japanese uh, beauty contest Miss Japan and she's of Caucasian descent uh, originally Ukrainian um, but you know speaks Japanese etc and it's caused uh, again it's caused absolute shock waves in Japan whereas I think in Luxembourg where ev- you know this this wouldn't it's not a big deal, you know, whether you have a second passport, what you look like, you know, maybe you have to speak Luxembourgish to take part. I don't know. I don't even think that's a requirement. So it's very interesting.
0: No, not for the, for the Luxembourgish song contest. Yes. No, I think you had to ha- have lived here for a certain amount of time, two years or something. Yeah. and Yeah. I mean, there isn't a song in Luxembourgish. So I, I think that's. Possibly a good thing. Sorry. no. Just I mean, from the point of view of understanding a song, because I think you get a lot of, um, you know, when it comes to music, people want to have that uh, connection to music. And if it's in a language they can
3: understand. um, I think there's greater resonance that that's what I mean. (laughs) <laughs> whatever I mean you know I think you know they usually used to be that people sung in their original languages wasn't it mm. so you would suddenly hear Finnish or mm. which uh, is also lovely Stone, which is also quite nice but I agree I, yeah. I think Luxembourg is quite a niche language maybe yeah but
0: to even to a, a lot of other countries they often choose to sing in often French mm. or English mm. yeah absolutely so, yeah. then again
2: music is said to be the universal language
0: it is uh, yes yes I agree with that totally yeah. Maybe we should have
3: wordless songs. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) La, 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 (laughs) la. So on the Luxembourg citizenship, um, you know, there's always a lot of statistics that come out. And um, I I found this very interesting that the biggest uh, group of new nationality is from Brazil. So that, and that's uh, because of this historic connection between Luxembourg and Brazil, that there were a lot of Luxembourgers who actually emigrated to Brazil. And and obviously, the nationality laws uh, are quite open. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of people who have a Luxembourg connection are, are taking the nationality. And the second group is Portugal, which is uh, not a surprise. Um, then the neighbouring countries, Germany and Belgium, and France, also people have applied and 936 Americans. Yeah, which is a very high number, mm. I think.
2: I mean, Well, we have a number of our our staff, American staff, are interested, you know, in in getting uh, citizenship, myself included, uh, just because Luxembourg is a fantastic place to live. This is my seventh country I've lived in. And this is one of the best for sure.
0: Yeah, we'll be going through your track record of countries. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've gone through quite a few,
3: including Japan, in fact. Yes,
2: I was. Yeah, yeah. Was yeah. Japan for four years.
3: Interesting. I mean, I, I think, you know, there, a couple of years ago, there was this huge uh, surge in demand for the Luxembourgish passport from Brits. Um, mm-hmm. But that seems to, after Brexit, but that seems to have kind of eased off a bit. And mm, now so- it's changed. I, yeah. Yeah. And the other interesting fact I thought was that, of course, Luxembourg City um, is majority foreigner compared to Luxembourg, as mm. apart from one little area, which is Scents, um, yeah. which for people who don't know Luxembourg City is just one very small part of Luxembourg where, where there's still a majority of uh, Luxembourg born.
0: Yeah, that was interesting as well. I think it's over 70% are... Um International or non-Luxembourgish in the city of Luxembourg. Um, I want to touch on the Gaza story because that was a story that um, my show was about last week. Um, it's still still awful, um, but now we're moving into the next waves of war, which are hunger and famine
3: in Gaza. Yes. Now I did listen to your your show last week. It was really interesting and very much touches on on the fact that you know uh, the UN has said that more people will die at the moment from famine than actually directly from the shell, the attacks and the shelling and the bombing. Um, and that, you know, the, the famine levels, they kind of have different categories and it has reached the catastrophic um, category where, you know, the majority of people do not have enough food mm. um, to, to survive. And this is something, you know, we, we are aware of, but we're so... I think in the news cycle, you're always following, you know, the the latest uh, attempts at peace negotiations, uh, you know, the the shelling that the shelling of the UN compound, for example, in Han Yunus earlier this week, um, and you know, you taking on numbers, and it's just what we're not seeing, really, apart from a few um, accounts, like from Medecin Sans Frontieres, you had last week, is um, witness accounts mm. actually of of the food queues and and the hunger and the yeah, the lack of habitation, that kind of thing.
0: Speaking of which, um, I met Hamza in the uh, coffee queue this right. morning, who um, is, a, is a colleague in this building, Palestinian, and he was talking about uh, the situation there for his family and and what they've lost, effectively, which is basically everything.
3: Yeah, yeah. Literally uh, everything. Yes, and that this, you know, this also these pockets where you're, you know, Civ- civilians were told to move to the south and back to the north and you know you you, mm. the, you can't keep track of anything after that can you
0: and we also have to say that today is friday when we're recording and i think today in the hague they're going to have a
3: ruling on um the well what's the, the, the genocide, genocide ruling Chilean. exactly so this is that uh this is there's a kind of hope that um if the uh, international court of justice which at one o'clock our time will make a mm an interim ruling mm. on uh, whether, whether Israel is committing genocide. Um, this was a case brought by South Africa, but that might force a ceasefire. So I think there's there's a lot of eyes on, on this ruling. Um, mm. They will, it won't be a permanent ruling, it's an inter, what they call an interim ruling, but it will be very interesting to see what happens. And, you know, fingers crossed that whatever pressure is on it that there is a possibility for a ceasefire.
0: Yeah. Uh, keeping it political, uh, New Hampshire primaries.
2: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, well, I think <laughs> maybe one of the reasons so many Americans are interested in Luxembourg citizenship is because of what's happening in the U.S. political scene.
0: Can you and explain I, to me why there are not more people standing? F-
2: running for election? Yeah. Um, because it think,
0: costs a lot of money.
2: Well, it costs a lot of money. I think many people probably think Trump is going to be the nominee no matter what.
0: No matter what,
2: really? Well.
0: It looks like it. It it does look like it, but that's why I'm asking. Why are there not more people (laughs) kind of jumping up and down and trying to
2: do something? Yeah, well, there's a lot of, you know. There's a lot of
0: support for him.
2: A lot of support, a lot of uh, messaging on get on board, right? Um, I think. Trump was. I read in the paper this morning that uh, said that anybody who is contributing to Nikki Haley's campaign is forever barred from the you know from working for him. Mm. So that's. And what I read, which
3: I thought was an interesting um, sort of analysis, is that the Republican Party itself. Didn't completely destroy his political career, um, uh, you know. Uh, after the election, and in fact, that it's kind of similar to um, in the UK with Boris Johnson, that they they didn't completely make it impossible for him to return. So mm. with these different court cases, that seems to give him more popularity, obviously. Mm. But that the Republican Party itself didn't fully turn on him, mm. and that 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 gives him a chance, I suppose, because mm. he's still considered a winner.
1: Mm.
0: No. It's well yes, clearly. He he is considered a winner. That's why he's the, the forerunner and um and a very strong voice and this huge wave of support from well f- <laughs> from majority of states it seems at the moment but we'll keep an eye on this story as it unfolds as well of course um yeah i think uh, as many people have said before we should have more than two parties in the u.s but uh, that's not for me to say i mean
2: <laughs> well george washington said it actually yeah. in oh, his well. <laughs> um, second farewell to the continental <laughs> congress he mm. he warned against the two-party system in america it's so no,
0: it's not good no.
2: That, that, that criticism's been around for a long time.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, well, there you go. In your retirement, you can form one, if you so wish, if you haven't already uh, decided to live in a in a different section of the world that you haven't yet visited. Um, keeping it with uh, immigration, moving from Trump to immigration, but more close to home, UK, France and Italy.
3: Yes, so immigration, again, is the sort of the bubbling topic in, in the EU. Um you know, it's, it's always there. But this week, it's been really interesting, because I don't know if you remember, um, a couple of months ago, uh, in France, um, President Macron managed to push through a very very tough immigration bill, mm. um, and uh, you know it took it took a lot of a lot to use the French ruling. Yes, yes so it was all, yes, it before, yes exactly yeah. that, that he didn't <laughs> get it through Parliament, and then there was a special ruling, and uh, again this has been uh, scrutinised this week again, and it, it is there, and uh, I have to say it is a very. Uh, tough immigration rule well, because it introduces quotas. Um, there are measures for dual nationality convicts being stripped of French nationality. It's making access to social benefits harder. And this is at the same time as in the UK, the question with about Rwanda is ongoing and is, is continuing. You can't believe the discussion is actually carrying on. Um, and that is about... Sending migrants to to Rwanda um, for for processing, and you know, as I mean, I don't know, but you know, what what from what you hear, the Conservative Party doesn't probably have very long uh, to stay. Um, The the election possibly months, yes, could be at the same time as the American Mm -hmm. elections, or certainly by the end of the year. And um, you know, they're pushing for this, and you think, well, this is just this seems to be a waste of money because it's going to be thrown out anyway. But Mm -hmm. anyway, they're still going for it, and then. Italy, eyes again on Italy because they have also agreed with Albania to have two processing centres um, for newly arrived migrants that are rescued from the Mediterranean. They will then be sent to Albania. And of course, we've got a very uh, right wing government in Italy. And I think people are looking with great interest to see whether that will mm-hmm. work, whether that's something that's going to be popular with, uh, with people well, the living in about- Europe. But it's, it's, you know... These are three examples of how people, are, countries or governments are going to quite extreme measures. To well, Italy did
0: does probably need a lot of support and help because they have so many migrants landing on their shores. So I, I think so many they simply couldn't cope, you know, because that's the first place they hit sometimes coming from. We've seen the pictures over and over and over again. So, and and I think there is support within the European Union. They're trying to help Italy in some way. At least I've spoken to a few people to say this. So,
3: um, yeah, but it's very interesting. But the Italian government obviously do not feel that they're getting enough support, yeah. which is why they've gone out on their own to, yeah. start to do these... Um, uh, processing centres in Albania. Albania.
0: Yeah. Uh, Final, a couple of stories then, bringing it back to home. We've got, uh, it's been in the news, uh,
3: bubbling along for a while really, the construction industry in Luxembourg. Yes, so I mean, yes, we've often spoken about the construction industry is in crisis, but the government has made this an official state of crisis, starting from the first of February um, until July. And if they put an industry into an official state of crisis, that then enables um, the companies to introduce partial unemployment uh, sorry, partial employment—I should say—you um, know, so so that companies don't have to actually lay off staff Um, and this but this will only apply to site workers so construction workers um, that they will be able to get partial employment from Mm -hmm. from the state and not to engineers and office Mm -hmm. workers but it's interesting because costs have risen so much people are not building and apparently the you know the big construction companies are uh, extremely concerned Uh, you know one big construction company actually went bankrupt quite recently
0: well it's not a surprise because there's been such Tremendous, fast growth yeah. in Luxembourg that they were still on that trajectory, uh, not planning uh, in their forecasts for anything like COVID and various other things that have happened in the world. And so it's become like left, right and centre at them when they were on a, a real kind of incline. So um, we can all understand why it's happened. And the final story then, the begging ban.
3: Yes, this is also an ongoing story mm-hmm. in Luxembourg. Um, you know, this this begging ban was was passed by the government, uh, the new government, I should say, and it begs ban, ban sorry, bans begging in the city during daytime. And it's been extremely controversial. All opposition parties have got are against it, and got together this week and actually held a press conference to say it is against the rule of law. That you know, it's 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 totally inhumane, um, and made a very strong press conference. Which I have to say that Luc Frieden um, this morning or last night kind of brushed off and said it's it's exaggerated. It's you know, it's not a big deal. We move them on, but there is this this big gap between what the police are able to do do they just move people on Um, you know do they arrest begging gangs they're trying to get rid of the the this this begging tourism where uh, you know people are coming from outside of Luxembourg to to beg on the streets here for more money maybe than in other countries nearby Um, but it's it's very interesting because it's a really heated debate in Luxembourg Mm. and uh, that doesn't often happen about sort of issues other than say Housing. housing crisis or you know yeah. um the the price of, of things yeah. so um i I, th- I find it a very interesting story to follow because i think the politicians are very passionate about it
0: i was in brussels um the main um, Gare Centrale central station um earlier this week and for the first time in my life i saw a pregnant lady begging mm. a young pregnant lady begging that that
3: really um yeah, that's that, heartbreaking. Yeah, yes.
0: that, that took mm. me by real surprise, actually. And um, it stuck with me, really. Sasha, as always, thank you very much. Lovely to be here. Now, let me turn to my two guests mm. in the studio, both teachers of long standing. David Condon, uh, director of the International School of Luxembourg, otherwise known as DJ. You joined in August twenty. 20- 21 here right. in Luxembourg, deeply experienced as an English teacher, keeping a journal from the age of 17. You started in Florida, but you have wanderlust. You have been teaching all over the world. Rotterdam was the first place and then you moved east. Uh, Rotterdam the Netherlands, of course. Uh, you went to Taipei in Taiwan, Yangon, Myanmar, Hong Kong, Kobe in Japan and Hawaii, as we mentioned earlier. You have a PhD in Organisational Leadership, Policy and Development. And you graduated high school early Mm. to travel, starting off in Alaska, where you lived in the bush, homesteading. And you are passionate about the experiential education uh, for a student and promoting student
2: agency. Welcome. Yes, thank you so much.
0: We'll, we'll jump into your travel along with other things. But I also want to introduce Sheridan Masters, who's the head of technology at ISL, also passionate about the use of learning skills analytics. And you have been leading long term projects in traditional education and also wider social innovation. A biology teacher at heart. You're here with your family in Luxembourg. You're passionate about student voice and choice and the capacity of technology to to facilitate learner agency and impact and all of the values that have a focus on the outcome for students. You and your family have lived in Brunei, India, Germany and the UK, which is a home of sorts to you.
5: Absolutely, yeah, That is currently yeah.
0: yeah, well welcome to all of you. It's great to have you Thank in the you. studio and we're here really to talk about um, how AI will disrupt education, but I know you're both positive about it and I want to start off with a chat about how you see student education, because I think you see it very holistically. You've spent a whole lifetime thinking about it um, and what progressive education
2: means to you. Yes. Well, um, thanks for that, for that intro. Uh, because I, my interest in education came when I, I left school, um, high school early and went to Alaska, living out in the bush, um, 30 miles from the nearest town, and that's when I realized the importance of experience. Um, and agency, because I did quite well in school, um, but when I got to the bush, I realized none of that really mattered, um, and so that really put an emphasis on on experience for me. And this has been at the heart of uh, progressive education for well over a hundred years. Um, one of the forefathers of progressive education, probably the the forefather, is John Dewey. He wrote a book called Experience and Education. You know, and it's really kind of a move away from an exam driven sort of processing of of students and really putting students at the center of the learning process and at the center of the the educational program and when we do that we're not just looking at their cognitive development but also the students social emotional growth their moral growth their aesthetic growth so again that that whole child orientation
0: I love all of that. uh, But still, your school and your school that people pay for here in Luxembourg, um, if a parent is paying for an education, they want all of that. But they also, for their child, want the results. How do you marry the two?
5: Can I clarify you, when you when you say results? Well, you, mean, you know, uh, I letters mean, letters the thing is, unfortunately,
0: you are progressive, but the rest of society around you may not be progressive. And at the moment, if we're still following the old fashioned route of um, a child student, young person then goes on to study in a university, they need a certain final IB score, whatever it happens to be IB in your school, in order to get into a s- certain universities, for instance. So how do you do that along with, or do you believe that the experiential uh, education aids that?
2: Uh, I I do believe it aids, but it depends on the school. So some schools are going to be less receptive to a sort of an alternative transcript that has a lot of experiential education um, uh, opportunities on that transcript, and other schools are going to be very, very open to it. Um, I know, for example, in the States, I think there's probably more receptivity to it. Schools like MIT, they love it, right? They love to see that students take initiative, you know, um, are able to self-regulate and come up with their own projects um, and follow their passions. And, yeah, other other universities and colleges are really more traditional. They're going to be more exam-based. What are your point totals? Um, And we feel we can do both. Uh,
5: Yeah. I might add as well, if if the end result is to be a a contributing member of society in the workplace, what we're excited by is also um, employers and workforces offering alternative pathways that don't include universities to some extent. Mm -hmm. Uh, We already see that um, uh, leading technology companies like Google um, offer a a non-undergraduate route into their uh, organisations because they recognise the skills and competencies in a different manner, rather than necessarily a, a number of letters or Uh, numbers that we might assign to students or humans
0: a lot of companies also realize that what a student may learn at university is completely useless for what they need a student to know on site and of course a company like google for instance the rate of change of technology is so fast that they probably would be better doing that in-house yeah
5: Yeah. and the narratives around lifelong learning also lean into that if if we do truly create an education for life which is our aspiration isl um, how can other organisations and, and students themselves capitalise on that, not just through a single avenue? I think it behooves us to be uh, cognizant of that.
0: Oh, that's a lovely word, isn't
2: it? Behooves. Mm.
0: Um, now, coming back to the whole experience for a child, how do you manage that at ISL?
2: Well, we have a new programme that we're starting called the Initiatives Programme uh, that is essentially trying to give students more choice on how they earn credits So typically right now, our our system, we're an IB diploma program school, have been for a long time. Kids take IB classes, they take the exams, they get credit that way. With the initiatives program, the idea is that students can choose to do, um, for example, project-based learning, either as an individual or as a group. They can propose courses. Um, they can do online learning um, and also internships and uh, apprenticeships. So we're trying to inject more choice, but still have it fit into our current system. And the, the touch point there is the credit. So a, a credit, whether it's earned in an IB class or a credit earned in, uh, through an online class or through project-based learning that credit is is a credit.
0: That's really interesting because then that's bringing in the aspect of lifelong learning. So you're getting them into the habit of using the online education available for all of us to, to, and of course it it, it kind of erupted through COVID times. I was speaking just this week to somebody who already speaks about seven languages and added an eighth during COVID times just because he could (laughs) online, of course. And then you've mentioned again and again, the student agency. What does that mean?
2: Yeah, it's, it's really about um, empowering students so that they feel um, in charge of their learning. We, we like to say that at ISL, students don't receive an education, they claim their education. So the idea with student agency is that students have an opportunity you know, to demonstrate how they're going to uh, uh, show their learning um, and also what they're going to learn. Uh, we also do things at, at the school. We have student innovation grants where um, students can apply if they've got an idea, they can apply for funding, um, and then go off and pursue that that project. So, for example, last year we had a group of eleventh graders who are very passionate about sustainability. They thought that we ought to be monitoring um, better our our um, different uh, measures, you know, energy consumption, water consumption, waste, and so on. Monitor that. So they wrote a innovation grant. They received it. They bought some software, and now we have a whole, a whole um, uh, program in place. And that all was student driven.
0: That's brilliant. Practice, and what was really
2: great, yeah, it was really wonderful. And what was really even better is that these eleventh graders, who are now twelfth graders, they inspired a group of fifth graders, who then. Uh, petitioned our board of governors to put solar panels on our roofs. And um, to our credit, our board said yes. And so we've installed um, solar panels and are continuing to do that. And that was that was driven by some 11-year-olds. So uh, the idea of student agency and student empowerment is something we take really seriously. We don't want our students to just be Sitting in rows, listening to the teacher doing all the talking, we want them to be actively involved and feel like they can make a difference.
0: So you've just shown me entrepreneurial skills, lobbying skills, political skills, and of course, green skills as well. I want to turn to um, you, Sheridan, because um, firstly, it's a very unusual name.
5: Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's. Um, I think it was inspired by a, uh, an English writer, Sheridan Morley.
0: Aha. She
5: has my mother's maiden name.
0: Yes, indeed. Uh, now, but I want to turn to the AI aspect mm. that um, you really have thought about deeply. You're quite passionate about it, I Absolutely. believe. So tell us how you see AI and education. I know we're just at the beginning of it.
5: Yeah, yeah, by all means. Um, I think um, from, the, from the widest lens we can think about it, um, it, it draws a lot of corollaries with technologies we've already seen and... Um, I'm mindful of looking around this room right now. Um, This is a fundamentally different image to what you might have seen in broadcast, radio or media um, within the last 20 years even. Um, Embedded technologies, even non-experts in your technology being able to interact with it. And I think whatever industry you look at, whether it's medicine and the technological changes, the legal system and, and here in Luxembourg, the changes to financial technology are profound. And so, you know, we are, it, it, it absolutely is essential for us in education to recognise these changes and keep, uh, keep apprised of them. We have a commitment to our faculty and our staff to make sure that they still remain professionals and that they're able to enhance their skills so that they remain at the top of their game because they're our most important resource. Um, and so, yeah, we, we for, the first, for the first part, as an industry education, um, I think it absolutely it has to remain relevant.
0: And how are you using it at at its core right now? How are you embedding it within your educational system?
5: Yeah, I can. So, so we're again um, to reference our board are really lucky that we have a strategic, um, long term vision, our um, a vision implementation plan that builds in AI as well. Um, And so, this very week we've been using um, developing technologies to support our faculty in in. thinking new ways around designing learning experiences to categorizing how we're going to implement new programs like the uh, initiatives program um, and uh, also the way in which we make efficiencies within our
2: organization.
0: So you're using it as something that can really help structure, it can make speed up things, make things quicker. Any other aspects?
2: Well, just uh, ways in, in which to lighten the load. You know, there's a lot of um, functions that, that teachers have now that are very time-consuming like report writing, and we're looking at, well, how can we use AI to make that more efficient and free up time for them?
0: But AI won't write the reports.
2: We don't want AI <laughs> to write the report, um, yeah, but we there's other ways we can use it um, to, to aid that process.
0: And so one of the early thoughts when AI, well, when ChatGPT came out, 3.5, 3. 4, whatever we're on now, um, was the fact that students could use it to Cheat, to plagiarize, to you know, write, have an essay written for them, etc. How are you monitoring this?
2: Yeah,
5: I, I can speak to oh, to, sure. the, to the extent yeah. that it, that's always been the case for us. Um, so whether whether student writing is being um, written by a parent or a sibling, or <laughs> they even you know essay mills are a thing. Students can you know pay for those essays abroad. Not that I'm giving recommendations. Uh, don't do that. It's plagiarism. Um, <laughs> So uh, that was always going to be a challenge for us. Um, and it's something that we, we value academic integrity um, incredibly highly. Um, and we have many measures in place in school to really, it's the, it's the core of our learning. If you're going to be a lifelong learner, then it, it really is it, an absolutely essential component, academic integrity. Whether you're going into university and research or whether you're going to, into product development, all of those things rely on building on and crediting those before you. Um, And so I think um, the way that we've seen AI interact with academic integrity um, actually is really beneficial to the model of schooling that we do at ISL because fundamentally it 's about knowing students if you 're going to again give them agency and direct the, allow them to direct their path, they end up in unique situations and if you as your, the instructor and, the, and the, the pit crew of people that support our students, know those students really well and are able to see where their learning and thinking is coming from and know the, and see the demonstrate the, the impact of the courses and the, the education they 're having that 's really where we see um, AI being managed it 's a very difficult It's a very difficult parallel if you have 100 students and you're lecturing to them Mm -hmm. to understand where their thinking is, where their ideas come from, where is their writing, what's inspired it. Um, With the facilities and the the, the layout of our school, um, that's a much easier proposition and it's something we tremendously value.
0: I love that uh, analogy, uh, the pit crew around a student. <laughs> it's like you're, you're cheering on your team. It's a really beautiful image I have here. Now you're all you're vying for the same results. Well,
2: I think it speaks to really um, going back to our earlier conversation about progressive education, right? And, and that is the role of the teacher. Um, you know, and in a traditional system, the teacher is the authority figure who delivers content to the students. Mm. Um, But in the progressive philosophy and constructivist philosophy, the teacher is more of a pit crew, is more of a support person, right? A professional learner, if you will, to help that student learn how to learn. Um, So part of the reason I'm excited about AI is I think it's going to advance that progressivist agenda, where we move away from specific content because now anybody can access the content and move more into the process of learning and the process of education. Uh, so I think AI is, is, yes, we were concerned about initially, like most schools were concerned about the plagiarism aspect, but um, in short order, I think we felt this has always been a problem at any time you try to pass off work as your own and it's not your own. Whether it's AI or it's a essay a, a mill or a sibling writing it, that's wrong.
0: We've seen politicians do it as well, of course.
2: <laughs> yes. That, yeah. Uh,
0: I want to actually now focus on both of you as uh, teachers who have traveled the globe. Uh, in fact, I was just thinking about your skiing holiday, Sasha, and the fact that, you know, you've for the first time in your life, recognize the change in cost when you ski out of season. but I suppose you've uh, because you're you know lifelong teachers, you've never had that advantage. However, you can travel the world as teachers. It's one of those professions which is truly global. Can you talk to us about the different places you've lived and what you've learned from the teaching and the education principles in different continents even
2: yeah. Uh, well, this is one of my favorite topics. It's a very long conversation because I'm often asked, well, what was your favorite place? What your favorite country that you lived in? And I can't answer that because every place is, is unique and um, has its own attractions um, and challenges. And for me, that's been, you know, since I left home to go on this adventure, it's been an adventure ever since. One of the chief pleasures is to go to different cultures and find out, well, how do people view the world there? And um, how do they like to do things? And how do I accommodate myself, adapt myself to that so that I, I fit in? You know, So, for example, in Japan, um, I needed to learn a lot about bowing and um, how deep to bow. <laughs> how,
0: how do you bow then? Teach us.
2: Well, it depends on who you're bowing to, right? Oh. You know, So there were sometimes if I had a visitor to my office, sometimes I would just say, Goodbye at, at the edge of my office, other people had to be at the outer office, other people at the front of the school, and then other people I had to actually go down the steps of the school and open their car door. And the depth of the bow depends on who the person is, right? Oh, so, uh, I mean, these are fascinating things, yeah. right? That, uh, you know, is part of the, the pleasure of being an international educator.
0: When it comes to not your learning, but the learning of the students, teach us about what you learned about education of others.
2: Uh, Well, there's uh, so I spend over half my career in Asia. Mm. Right. And there's some really fundamental differences about how people view education. Um, Going again, back to the progressive agenda. um, Dewey writes a lot about how education is, you know, we can confuse means and ends. Education is an end in itself in the Asian countries that I lived in, those countries, uh, those cultures, they really view education as a means to an end. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, this is kind of a fundamental difference. Um, and as international schools, very often they, we we exist as sort of cultural bubbles, um, and that we bring in. Essentially, it's been criticized: the international school movement is essentially a Western secular humanist orientation, and so some in some locations you know, the school's running the risk of kind of projecting that worldview in a context where it doesn't really fit. Mm-hmm. Um, Except
0: you're obviously catering for families who have to move a lot and you're trying to give some consistency to the the children who have to move with their parents. Right,
5: yeah, yeah.
2: And I've been involved with the International Baccalaureate Program for um, over 30 years and that's one of the advantages, mm-hmm. right, is that it allows expats to move around the world with this transferable credential and that there's certain certain elements that they can count on, regardless if they're in Japan or Hawaii or Luxembourg.
0: Very nice destination list you have there. Mm-hmm. So do you, in fact, Sheridan.
2: Thank you. Yeah.
5: Um, I would build on DJ's perspective of what it means for, for students. Um, firstly, recognizing tremendous privilege. Um, I, I think Uh, being able to to take frankly a privileged audience um and those those characteristics or predispositions towards empathy towards understanding and and being and really truly knowing oneself um and and um the the affordances and and provision that you've been given um and being able to strive and contribute um to i think one of the 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 unifying principles of um schools that i've worked in both in tremendous poverty um and also in, in in affluent Um, countries like Luxembourg, um, has been students' ability to have agency and to contribute. And so service learning is a key component of of all of the schools that I've had the privilege of working with. Um, And so finding genuine, authentic, meaningful ways for students to engage in the context that they've found themselves. And at the same time, honour that tremendous privilege they have and how might they use that as a force for good and change. Um, and so whether I'm speaking about my, my the work that the school did in India, um, or whether, the, again, we do we have a really strong service learning programme uh, at ISL across the entire school, um, there are so many opportunities, regardless of your setting, for students to have agency and contribute.
0: When you mention service, I'm thinking of the state of the world right now. a lot of need. There is. And also, do you think students are hopeful about the future?
2: I think... Um Post COVID, well, probably prior to COVID as well. We've seen more students um, suffering from depression and anxiety. I, I, you know, I I think adults are feeling kind of anxious about the future as well, and certainly students are as well. So we feel we're we're really putting a lot more resources into um, students' social emotional health, um, into their well being. Uh, that that's. That's it's always been important. I think it's more important now than than in years past. Mm.
5: And I, I might add that education holds a core value or a, a core perspective um, within that relationship. Um, I'm not going to directly, but paraphrase um, David Attenborough. You can't give in to uh, you know to poor feeling. You have to be optimistic. You have to believe that you as an individual can make change. And again, with that tremendous privilege that, mm-hmm. that um, you know that our schools cater um, sometimes for the students of. Um, that's that's an advantage. The, the, the way in which they can influence these these um, things that uh, annoy them, frustrate them. Um, we aim to to educate and build future leaders, future influencers. People who are going to have an impact on society. Um, and what better way to mitigate or reduce the feeling of helplessness um, than make oneself feel powerful and impactful and engaging?
0: Thank you, Sheridan. I, I Sasha, I'm turning to. Do you have any questions?
3: Well, I, I'm, I'm very impressed because I wish that I had been to a school like this where <laughs> we had place. agency, yes, uh, or that I, my children had, I'd have to say, who went more to an exam factory type of school. So I, I think it's wonderful.
2: Mm. That's all. I would just add to what Sheridan was saying, that you know, an international school such as ours is a kind of a microcosm of what's going on in the larger society. We have, I think, by last count, 57 different nationalities among our students. We have about 30 nationalities among the staff. And so what we do in our buildings, how we treat each other, how we, you know, address conflicts, how we learn to get along, how we learn to understand each other. In in a sense, this is what we're trying to, you know, the, what we want the larger society to learn as well. So... Uh, you know, our locus of control is we, we don't have much to say about what's happening in the States or what's happening in the Middle East. But we do have some control um, and influence about what's happening in our own buildings. And, and we take up that challenge.
3: And do you, sorry, do you think that your students are very involved in sort of local society as well. So it's not just a, an international global perspective, but, you know, that they're really rooted in Luxembourg, say, for example. Uh,
2: well, we do have a number of service learning projects that happen right here in Luxembourg. Um, so there's there's plenty of examples of, of our students integrating, but it actually is part of our new vision plan that the, the board approved. We want to do more um, in terms of integrating into Luxembourg. We want to have more partnerships. Um, and, and basically, we don't want to be that cultural bubble. We want to be a good citizen contributing to the Luxembourg international education landscape.
0: Well, maybe one of your students might do so this weekend in a certain yes. song contest. <laughs> Thank you both so much for coming in, for talking, inspiring me, actually. It's, it's so lovely to listen to you. And uh, again, I have a little bit of uh, Sasha's children's uh, education in my mind. and I, I know there are certain schools here which have a... a not the same
3: ethos not the same
0: ethos let's put it that way (laughs) not the same ethos so it's lovely to to have that outward looking vision and student centred vision to make good for the world thank you all so much for your time
2: thank you very much a pleasure
0: thank you
4: the lisa burke show